in silver, and more, all of them saturated with mana. No one said, one of a kind, with surprise. Minor Watt had grown prosperous in the roofing business in New York, city of flat roofs. A flat roof is designed to leak, he said, and his familiarity with the bones of these buildings led him to speculate successfully in real estate. From the age of thirty or so, Minor Watt had had everything he'd ever wanted—every dollar, every woman, every serious business deal, every artifact. His eye fell upon a standing bodhisattva, a mustached Maitreya from Gandhara, carved in schist, second century, Kushan period, clutching a plump vial that contained the elixir of immortality. A duplex on Park Avenue, a house by the sea in Connecticut, with a set of buildings that served as his personal museum. A loving wife. Where was she? His artworks were not for warehousing, but for display. Showing them was his incentive to collecting. He'd love taking his wife to the opera, Inca gold glittering at her throat. Even more than the joy that drove his collecting passion was the knowledge that in buying a rare object he had prevented someone else from owning it. Another pleasure in his collection was his certainty that, even as he was examining a piece, its value was rising, no matter what the stock market was doing. He had bought a small bacon in London, ahead of George Dyer. Over the years, its value had increased two hundredfold. Those human skulls, if similar ones could be found, which was doubtful, they'd cost twenty times what he'd paid. One of the paradoxes of the people who praised these objects was that in most cases they had no idea what they were looking at. At first, Minor Watt's pride made this almost a sorrow to him, and then, out of snobbery, such ignorant remarks delighted him. "'I love this African stuff,' someone would say, smiling at a fierce-faced Timor housepost. The Gandharan piece from the Swat Valley was taken to be Greek. "'Byzantine,' an art historian said of an eighteenth-century Lalabella painting of the Ethiopian saint Gabra Memphis Cadus. His old cartoonish reverse-glass paintings, done by itinerant Chinese in Gujarat, baffled all viewers. "'Indonesia? Bali? A bulb-headed Fijian throwing club, known as an Ulu, was assumed to be a Zulu knobkerry and no one ever noticed that the ivory inserts on its lobes were human molars from its five victims. And which of them would know that this Chinese vase was Ming? Minor Watt and his wife had bought it together, after much discussion, in Shanghai, after a Yangtze cruise in 1980, and had hand-carried it back to the States. The vase, treasured as all these objects were, like members of their family, had accompanied them through six changes of address. As though demanding custody, she'd included it as part of the divorce settlement. Had she noticed it glowing in the display cabinet on her previous visit with her lawyer? Thinking of the woman, he heard his intercom buzz, 
and then his secretary's voice. Your wife is here. Already it was an odd word, since they'd agreed to the divorce months before and had now signed most of the papers. In mentally moving her out of his life, he was reminded of his mood when he sent a piece to be auctioned, how he had no feeling for it. Even though it still had monetary value, it was dumb and mummified. And, the thing having lost all meaning and hope, he smiled as he let it slip away. He had wondered which woman would show up. The angry woman, the sad woman, the wild-eyed woman, the oversensitive woman, the rejected one, the triumphant one, the sulker, the smirker the old friend. She was none of these when she entered the room. She looked thinner, all the fury gone, leaving her...